Block Kansas City, how we live in. Guys, I am thrilled to be starting off our relationship series. Before I do, sorry, I just almost choked on my way up here. <coughs> we're good, we're good. Hey, I am very excited to be starting our Before I Do series. Uh, I honestly don't know that there's a bigger felt need for young adults besides love, sex, marriage, dating. And we're going to talk about all these things. Uh, we wanted to start with focusing on the Before I Do. We're focusing on the I Do, which means we got to have the end in mind. And we're going to talk about this more in coming weeks, but really quickly, at the beginning of the series, we just wanted to set up and define what are we looking for as we look forward to the I do. Uh, we have to put our goals for marriage in mind. And here at the Block KC, we believe that God has the most life-fulfilling, uh, satisfying, and growth-inducing plan for marriage. And that marriage is a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman and it's full of mutual love and sacrifice, it's full of joy and intimacy, and it's full of hard work and communication. And, and I think that sounds like a great thing. God's word describes this as a gift, and that's how we see it here. Uh, but we're going to talk about everything from being single all the way up to getting married. We're going to talk about all these different things. And throughout this series, y'all, we wanted to get very real and very vulnerable. We wanted to really bring to light a lot of the concerns, the fears, the pain, and the dangers that happen in love and relationships in today's age. And so to get us all there, to get us to open up a little bit, I'm going to have you guys get a little vulnerable. Turn to the people next to you, and I want you to tell them what is one of your biggest irrational fears. Go ahead, take a couple seconds and do that with the folks around you. All right, all right, all right. Hey, let's bring it back together. Okay. Hey, I need, I need a couple people to shout out some of your big irrational fears. Don't shout out your neighbors. Just shout out yours. Can I get a couple people to shout them out? What? Geese? All right, geese. We got geese. Hey, I'm not trying to make fun. I'm not trying to make fun. What else we got? Getting left behind. That is a valid fear. I'd say that's very rational. Anyone else got an irrational fear that they want to shout out? Mascots? I actually know someone who's terrified of mascots. Did someone say holes over here? Okay, thank you. So I actually, I'm going to get real with you guys. Please don't use this against me. Uh, I have this irrational fear. It's called tryptophobia. It's a real thing, and it's the fear of small holes and small bumps, like wasp nests. Wasp nests. Uh, I was actually going to show you guys a picture, but as soon as I Googled tryptophobia, I started freaking out. And I was like, I can't handle this. And so rather than show you guys any pictures, I figured I'd tell you a story of how I discovered that I have this fear. Uh, I was a microbiology major at K-State. I was pre-med, and that meant that I had to take a class called human body. And I think that anatomy and physiology is just fascinating. Uh, I think the way that God has or designed our bodies is nothing short of genius. But I made the mistake of when I got my textbook of flipping through it, and I flipped open to the dermatology section, and skin diseases already kind of freaked me out a little bit, which wouldn't have been great as a doctor. Uh, but when I flipped open to this, I saw this picture of a guy's skin that had a bunch of flesh-eating bacteria holes in it, and it freaked me out. Like, I started to, you know, my shirt just didn't feel right, and I was kind of like doing one of those, and I had to get up and go on a run 
just to get the image out of my mind because I was like really heavy, I was heavily breathing and it was just terrifying. I absolutely cannot stand just the little tiny holes. They absolutely freak me out. Uh, again, please do not use that against me. It's a, a real thing. I think a couple people in here probably have that. Um, the reason why we start with this is because tonight's topic kind of sometimes makes us want to go like this, right? We want to we get a little squirmy whenever we talk about what we're going to be talking about tonight. It's something that I think most, most of us as young adults, if we are honest with ourselves, we would admit that this is something that causes concern, this causes fright, we think that this is a scary idea, and that's the idea of being single, right? And that's tonight's topic, the theme of tonight, the title of the message is Scared of Singleness. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And y'all, the reality is that no one wants to be alone, right? I, I think very few people on this planet are excited of the idea of never getting married and never finding that person that you say I do with. And so regardless of your relationship status, there are going to be very important takeaways that we're going to be talking about tonight. Because either you're biblically single, which just means you're not married, and so chances are that you have experienced, you are experiencing right now, or you will experience these fears at one point or another. And for those of you in the room that are married, you're probably going to have friends that are going along through this, and you're going to know how to comfort them and point them to God's word. And, and like I said, y'all, we're going to get vulnerable tonight. I, I think the idea of being single is so often tied up with a lot of pain and hurt and confusion and frustration. And my encouragement to you as one biblically single person to another, let God into that. God's word is described as a lamp, and it's really uncomfortable to bring our fears into the light. But tonight we're going to be learning from the book of Philippians, which if you're not familiar with the Bible, first of all, we're glad you're here. We'd love to get you one if you don't have one. But Philippians, specifically Philippians 4, if you do have a Bible, you can begin to flip there. It's a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul. He is actually a single man, for those of you who don't know. He's not married, and he's in an incredibly difficult situation, an incredibly lonely situation. He's been thrown in a Roman prison because of his faith in Christ, and he's most likely awaiting execution. And he's writing to a church in the city of Philippi who he dearly loves, and they are also suffering for their faith. And as we get started, I want to be explicitly clear, this passage is not talking about being single directly. It's not talking about that, but... God's word is perfectly applicable to all areas of our lives. And so we are going to take the light of God's word, we're going to use it to expose our fears of singleness, and we're going to use the truth of God's word to expose those fears. And y'all, if we're honest, we do not want to be confronted with our fears, right? I don't want to see images of tryptophobia up on the screen. But so often, it's not until we face our fears in the light that we're able to trust God with them in the dark. And we did, as we prepared for this series, we did a lot of research. I did a lot of listening as we prepared for this series. So I just want to say my heart is very heavy as we approach this topic because everyone wants love. And if you're here tonight and you feel unseen and you feel unloved, and you th scroll through Instagram and you're just unhappy because you see everyone else has what you want. Or maybe you lay awake at night dreading the fact that you're still single. Maybe you think it's impossible that you're ever going to find the person that you say I do to. 
My hope and my prayer tonight is that you would see the love and hope that comes from God and his word, and it would be something that brings peace and comfort into your lives as we talk about the idea of being single. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. God, I I just, I pray that tonight, God, we would look at your word. God, that we wouldn't try to trick ourselves into just thinking that we're not afraid of this. But God, I just pray that we would see what your word has to say. God, I pray that we would be honest with you. I pray that we'd be honest with ourselves. God, you, you say that we can cast all of our fears, all of our anxieties on you. So God, I pray that we do that tonight. God, we know that you are the father of all compassion and the God of all comfort. And God, I pray that what's heard is not my words. It's not just words that are going to be comforting in the short term. God, it would be your word. And it would be your word that comforts us in the long haul as we address these fears, God. We love you, and we're grateful that we have this access through Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all, we're starting off in Philippians 4.1. Paul says this. He says, so then, my brothers and sisters, dear friends whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, stand in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. I appeal to Bryceland and to Harper to agree in the Lord. Bryceland and Harper are not the real names. It's Yodi and Sintati, but I can't pronounce those names very well. Bryceland and Harper are actually the top baby names, in case you guys are curious. Uh, and it says, yes, I say to you also, true companion, help them. They have struggled together in the gospel ministry along with me and Clement and my other coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. Yo, what's happening here is that Paul is taking a moment in his letter to reaffirm the relationships that he has with the believers in Philippi. And listen to how he describes them. He calls them his brothers and sisters. He calls them his dear friends twice in one sentence. He's very, very fond of these people. He calls them his joy and his crown. I cannot remember the last time I called the homies my joy and my crown. I might have to start doing that. I don't know. But what we see here is that the Apostle Paul has a network of deep friendships, deep community. And we're going to use that truth to expose our first fear of singleness that we're talking about tonight. Fear number one, being single means I'm alone. Maybe y'all can relate to this, right? Okay, it's Friday night. It seems like all your friends are out with their boyfriends or their girlfriends or their spouses, and you are sitting on the couch watching compilation videos of Parks and Rec on YouTube. Maybe, Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been in the situation where you have a work holiday party coming up, and you're encouraged to bring a plus one, and you think, I don't, I don't have anyone to invite. And that makes you feel lonely. Maybe you've gone through the experience where you get home from work and there's no one at home or you live by yourself and you have to eat dinner alone and sit in an empty apartment all night. And y'all, these are just several of the many, many ways that we can experience loneliness or isolation in our day-to-day lives. And if you read Paul's letters, you begin to see that there are two things that informs this fear of being alone. And those two things are community and commitment and contentment. Y'all, Paul talks about the church as his family. He calls them his brothers and sisters. And if you read them, you realize that Paul really relies on these people as he battles these feelings of loneliness. As he battles this sense of isolation. You remember, as, as Paul's writing this, he is in a Roman prison. He's not really allowed to get out and hang out with his friends whenever he wants to. And the cool thing is that even though he's alone in person, he knows, man, I've got people that love me. I've got people that have invested in my life. I've got people that I know that I can count on at any time. And you can see how he relies on this deep friendship 
to fight feelings of isolation. Community is crucial to combat loneliness. And then there's a second truth that begins to inform this fear of loneliness, and that's contentment. Contentment is the killer of comparison. What do I mean by this? I mean when we're content or we're satisfied with what God has given us, we stop looking at what other people have or what we don't have. And we begin to be satisfied with where we're at. We actually have a great example of this here tonight. Caitlin Zerker is her name. She actually serves here at the block as a leader. And she's going to come up and she's going to share her story of following Jesus as a single woman. So I want you all to put your hands together for Caitlin as she comes up and shares her story. Hi, how's everybody doing? Uh, Like Nick said, I'm Caitlin, and I'm excited to get to share some of my story tonight. Um, A little bit about me is I grew up in the church and gave my life to Christ at a very young age. Um, And there's definitely been joys and challenges with coming to faith at a young age and figuring out my walk with the Lord as my own, and not just because that's what I grew up in. But tonight I want to share specifically about how God has used my singleness in my life for good, And a lot of that goodness has been in how he has shifted my perspective of singleness and how he has revealed and got me to release misconceptions I was holding on to. Also, I think it's worth mentioning, I am 30 years old and unmarried. Um, And if any of you out there are pleading with God right now for that to not be your story, that was me before. Um, So (laughs) I know how that feels. And um, I also know that God's timing is infinitely better than our own. Um, So I look back on the past decade and I see how impatience led me to discontentment and trying to control God's timing or trying to convince him that I knew what was best for me better than he did. What that looked like was staying in an unhealthy relationship longer than I should have, which ultimately hurt both of us. Um, It looked like trying to run away from feeling stuck. I have been that girl that has looked for jobs out of the state or even out of the country uh, because I wanted to change the status quo. But in those times of trying to control and trying to make things happen on my own, I know that there was a distinct lack of peace and feeling like I was running instead of remaining where God had me. So I had to wrestle with the why, um, why God was keeping me here and not changing my relationship status. Through that, I realized I had unknowingly put a contingency on God's goodness that was dictated by if I was in a relationship or not. And what that did was made me easily frustrated with God in my situation and brought a lot of comparison and discontentment. I had a name that I had made relationships an idol and that I had developed an entitlement to marriage and had been holding God to a promise that he never made. Uh, The Bible is clear that marriage is a gift and that singleness is too. It says nothing about being promised marriage. In naming and realizing all of those ugly misconceptions, God brought me to a place of surrendering my singleness. I haven't done it perfectly, but God definitely has worked on my heart and has had a lot of patience with me, which I am very, very thankful for. I could tell my heart was changing towards singleness when I noticed my prayers change from demanding and convincing God of who I should date to instead praying and asking him to make the desires of my heart match the desires of his heart. I wrestled with having the desire for a relationship, but not having it fulfilled, and so surrendering that desire to him brought peace. It also looked like getting to the point of realizing that I wanted to be in God's will more than I wanted to be in mine, even if that meant God's will for me was to be single for the rest of my life. 
or even if it meant having to wait five more years to get married. If that was his will for me, then that is where I wanted to be because I was tired of trying to make it my will work because it kept ending in heartbreak and frustration rather than peace. And I knew the difference because of how God had been faithful in so many other areas of my life in tons of big and small ways. God reminded me that I could trust him to be faithful with my relationship status too. There's a lie out there that can be so easy to believe that I am forgotten by God, but that is the farthest thing from the truth, and I've had to declare that over my feelings. I knew that if God wasn't to the point of opening the door to be in a relationship, then there was a reason and purpose for being single, and I wanted to lean into that. My heart also changed when God showed me that there is purpose in every season of life, and so I knew there had to be purpose in singleness. And so I asked God for a purpose, and he has definitely answered that prayer. God provided community that has challenged and strengthened me in my faith in life. He provided purpose in getting to serve in my local church in a, a bunch of different ways and being able to serve here at the block the past couple years. And that has honestly been one of the sweetest ways of getting to see God's provision and goodness is being able to see what he's done here through this ministry. I know that I wouldn't have been as available to give so much time away if I had been investing in a relationship. God also used this time to refine me, to heal me from past broken relationships, to help me see sin I had claimed ignorance over and bring me to repentance and experiencing forgiveness from those choices. I was able to work through that hurt with God in a community of women who spoke truth into my life. I don't want it to seem like I ever got to a place of complete contentment with singleness. I think sometimes there aren't enough words in the English language to really explain feelings, but I feel like God brought me to a point of contentment of trusting in his will, but also wrestling with the desire for a relationship and marriage and being able to hold both at the same time. God has taught me a lot over the last few years, specifically that I can hold joy and grief at the same time. This last year in particular was one of the hardest for me. I got to walk through the final year of life with my grandma who was dying of cancer. There was a thankfulness I had of being single and available to make so many trips to see her and got more time with her than I would have if I had been married or had kids. But there was also a distinct loneliness that I felt in the grief of not having a husband to walk in that loss with me in a tangible way like I saw my siblings had. But God met me in that mix of emotions and he is call called the God of all comfort for a reason and I felt seen by him in the ways he provided for me. There are a lot of friends here tonight that I've walked a similar path as me in being single way longer than any of us desired, but it has been encouraging to me to not have to walk it alone, to be able to encourage each other towards truth. One specific example um, is that my roommate and I prayed with hopefulness and boldness for our future husbands almost every day for a year, and about two months ago, she got engaged. And it has been so beautiful in seeing how God carefully brought them together down to all the crazy little details. However, it has also been hard feeling that unmet desire in my own life. But God meets us there and wants us to bring those emotions to him. God has taught my heart that I can have both joy for others and grief that it's not my time, all under the umbrella of trusting that he cares more about my relationship and my heart more than I ever could, which is hard to believe at times. Which brings me to my favorite verse, which is Ecclesiastes 3.11, which says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. It is not my place to understand the big picture, 
and I can trust that God has purpose and plans that I not I might not be able to get to see this side of heaven. I also want to say that I think sometimes we can be told, especially as women, to be passive in our singleness, to stop looking, and then it will happen. I can tell you that was not the case for me at all. I think we can be active in our singleness with abiding in God's word, praying like crazy, and surrendering to God that he will open and shut doors. I for sure was open to being set up on blind dates and have some really funny stories because of it. Um, or I have a friend, or, sorry, or having a friend give a helpful nudge to a guy I was interested in. However, I was praying continually that God would have his way for him to make his will happen, which it did happen for me in an unexpected way about four months ago when one of the best guys I know and honestly someone who I thought would literally never ask me out, (laughs) sure enough did. Um, And let me tell you that because of how long I was single, Because of how God used that time of not being in a relationship and refining me with having to be patient to bringing me to find purpose and value outside of a relationship, it has made the past four months of dating and getting to know Michael some of the absolute sweetest. And I'm so, so thankful that he is getting to date the person God has made me to be today rather than the girl he would have been dating five or ten years ago. And knowing his story and what God has done in his life in the past five years makes me so thankful that I can honestly say that even at 30 years old, it does not feel delayed even by a day. There is so much peace in it because I know God has led both of us here. And I'm hesitant in telling you all my relationship status because I don't want anyone to walk away thinking that this relationship is my reward. It isn't. It is a sweet and undeserved gift that I am not entitled to at all. What I hope to encourage everyone with tonight is that God is the reward. Seek and pursue him first and foremost and trust what he is doing and his timing. Thank you. Y'all, I I hope that you know, uh, first and foremost, Caitlin, thank you for sharing that. That's hard to do. And it's hard because there's a lot of stigma of being single at 30 years old. Uh, But when Paul talks about his uh, brothers and sisters that have worked alongside him, I think of Caitlin. Uh, She, I hope you guys know this, the Block KC would not exist if if it wasn't for Caitlin Zerker. She does so much behind the scenes here to serve and to bless young adults in Kansas City. And if you just hear the way that she's content because she's being used by God, and you look at the faithfulness, it's a wonderful example. It's a wonderful picture. It absolutely is. Caitlin, thank you for sharing that. I, I, I hope that we see the community and the contentment that Caitlin talked about of, of fighting that fear of being alone. Uh, if you guys don't know, God has given followers of Jesus a built-in community called the church. And, and if you're here tonight and you are not a follower of Jesus, I hope you know that you are also invited into this family. That is, in fact, the whole purpose of the church is to invite other people to be a part of the family of Jesus. And that's what Paul calls in that passage the gospel ministry. That's what it means. It's to help people know God and to make God known. And Paul actually explains that idea of contentment as well as community. Uh, Later on in Philippians 4, in verses 11, he says, I'm not saying this, he's referencing a thank you to the Philippians, because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content in any circumstance. I've experienced times of need and times of abundance. 
in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I am able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Y'all think about that. Paul, a single man, is being able to say, I have learned to be content at all times. Doesn't matter what I have. Doesn't matter where I am. I've learned to be satisfied with God. And that idea when he says learn to be content, it's not learned like he just learned a secret. It's not learned like he just understood a truth suddenly. It's the idea of learning through putting into practice. It's the idea of learning a sport or learning a skill or learning an instrument. And, and later on, when he says he's learned the secret of it, it's not just saying that he picked up on something all of a sudden. It's saying he's become so intimately equated with the idea of being content that he understands the secret of how to be content. It's something that's deep. It's something that runs deeper than just knowing how to do something. It's like when you know how to play an instrument or you understand a sport, you understand everything that's happening behind the scenes. And Paul has gotten to this place. But it takes time to do this. It takes a lot of effort and focusing on Jesus. And we need that in our single years. Here's why. To illustrate, there's a story of a pilot. Uh, he always looked down intently on a certain valley in the Appalachian Mountains as he would fly over. There's this one spot, and every single time they flew over it, his co-pilot began to notice. And his co-pilot finally asked, hey, why do you always look down at that one valley? And the pilot said, when I was a little kid, I sat on a log and, and fished in a stream right down there in that valley. And I used to watch the planes flying overhead, and I used to wish that I was flying up in those planes. And he said, now that I'm in the plane, I wish I was down there fishing. Y'all, despite what our fears try to sell us, if we are lonely when we're single, we will be lonely in marriage. If we train our minds to be unhappy in one circumstance, that will follow us into the next circumstance because we bring our minds with us. The grass is not greener on the other side. It's green where you water it. And I know that this sounds so crazy. I know there's people in this room thinking right now, that's not true. If I got married, I would not be lonely anymore. But listen to this. There's a study done in 2016 by St. Louis University. They tested young adults in romantic relationships and lonely circumstances. So young adults that had romantic partners in lonely circumstances, i.e. they lacked a social life or they lacked some common purpose or genuine friendships. And they found that as the months went on, the lonelier a person was, the higher that relationship showed signs of codependency. And codependency is something where you look at someone else and think, you need to fix all my problems. That's on you. And as these relationships became more codependent, they started to decline in health. And suddenly the relationships were unhappy. And suddenly even further amounts of loneliness were reported. Y'all, God's word is very clear. Relationships do not complete us. They expose us. And if we train ourselves to be discontent when we're single, we will only continue to be discontent when we're married. And we have to begin to expose this fear of loneliness. And we have to fight it with community. And we have to fight it with contentment in Christ. And you can look at the example of Paul and God's word. And you can look at Caitlin's life as an example of that. And, and I want to be he clear here, I'm not saying that being single is the same as being married, right? I'm not. Those are two very different things. You have a different experience, but being single is not a bad thing. 
And that actually brings us to our next fear. Fear number two, being single means I'm missing out. As I was preparing for this talk, I actually surveyed people from this room anonymously. And the five fears that we're covering tonight were actually the five fears that were shared. And the, the interesting thing was that pretty much everyone had the exact same fears across the board. You're not alone in this. And one of the things that was most prevalent as I was reading was is that there was this fear of missing out on starting a family or on buying a home or having kids. And there was this idea that because I'm single, I'm missing out on a more full life that God only has for people who are married. And the married people are the varsity, and I'm just JV, and I don't get to experience life. And God's word actually, in Philippians 4, informs this idea when Paul continues, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He repeats it two times. What he's saying is, be glad where I have you. You don't have to just be content or satisfied. You can actually celebrate and enjoy life. I really hope that we begin to see God's heart for us here. God came that all people could have life and have it to the full. Not just married people. Not just single people. And it's not so that we get all of our desires met. But it's so we can enjoy God in all aspects of our lives. I want to take a look for a second at just two of the things that we feel like we miss out on sometimes as single people. One of them is buying a house. Y'all, do you know that you can enjoy God by buying a house as a single person? Like, that is available to you. And I would actually say, if you're financially able to and the market is right, that is a great investment. Why? Because you get to use your, your house as an opportunity to serve others. And show them the love of Jesus. And that will bring joy into your life as you rejoice in God in that. And you get to invite your coworkers over for dinner. And you get to grab some men or women from your Bible study and have them live with you. And you get to design and decorate and do all the fun things of, of home ownership and take care of the yard as a service to God. And excellence. And there are so many ways that God could use that in your life. There's actually a, a leader who serves at the block here, she's single and she's a teacher and last year she decided to buy a house. And her and her roommates, they fixed it up. And now they host 4th of July parties, they host birthday parties for people, they host Bible studies there, and y'all, they enjoy it. They love it and they look at how good God has been to them because they're rejoicing in where God has them. And in the same way, when we look at having kids and we feel like we're missing out on having kids, now God's word teaches that having children is reserved for marriage, but it's not the only way to care for kids. Let's say that you have a real heart for children. You can serve in the church and enjoy God. Like, get involved in a children's ministry at your church. They are always looking for volunteers, and you'll get to have some great stories of caring for those kids. And maybe you're here, and you're not a believer in Jesus. You can get to know folks that have kids and offer to bring dinner to them. Offer to go over and babysit for a little bit and just enjoy the time with the kids. Enjoy playing Paw Patrol. Enjoy watching crazy cartoons. And you can enjoy where God has you. And we don't have to wait to enjoy our lives. We don't have to wait to enjoy adulthood as single people. But we do have to choose to rejoice in God where we're at. And I, I want to be careful, though, because I don't want to say that just enjoying singleness or being content, like, like Caitlin said, that takes away the desire for marriage. Because it really doesn't. And that brings us to next fear. Fear number three, being single is because of a lack of options. Do you guys, uh, you, you know that thing when you go to the grocery store and you go to the bread aisle 
the bread aisle, you know, with all the bread. And you look down the bread aisle, and you're like, man, there are so many different kinds of bread here. I don't know which one to do. You guys know what I'm talking about? This is not that. This is the opposite. This is the COVID. I'm in the toilet paper aisle, and there's one beat-up package of toilet paper. And I'm looking around thinking, oh, there's no options here. I'll joking aside, this one's really tough. It, it really is. Because it's impossible to know that you'll end up with someone until you actually do. And what happens is we feel this fear that there's not enough options. There's not enough single people around me. And so we kind of start frantically looking around and thinking, okay, which one of these guys or which one of these girls is going to be it? And we begin to see everyone as just a potential spouse, just a potential romantic partner instead of friends that we get to know. Or we start trying to slide into people's DMs or we start trying to scroll through dating apps and we just think, man, I just need to find more options and that will satisfy this desire. This will solve that fear. And it's a tough fear and it doesn't feel good. Fellas, maybe you've asked a girl out and she said no. And you're like, I I thought she was a good option. Maybe you've asked five girls out and they've all said no and you feel like your list, you're just like, "I I don't know who else to ask. On the flip side, girls, maybe you see guys asking out the same friend again and again and again. And you're left feeling unseen, thinking, when am I going to get my shot? When is someone going to ask me out? Maybe you just broke off an unhealthy relationship, and you knew it wasn't healthy, and you knew it wasn't honoring to God. But now that you're looking at the other fish in the sea, you're kind of thinking, why did I ever throw that one back? I mean, it was rotten, and it bit, and it didn't smell good, but, I mean, it's something. Even though it wasn't healthy, even though you knew it wasn't what God had for you. And it can just all be summed down to this idea that we're concerned that there's not enough eligible single people that would make a lifelong good partner to go around. And God's word actually has a a light to inform this fear, and it says in verse 5, let everyone see your gentleness. Let everyone see your gentleness. Now, Paul is not explicitly saying here, he's not saying, hey, single guys, go show how gentle you are to the single girls. And single girls, go show how gentle you are to the single guys. But what he is saying is have a good reputation amongst everyone. That word gentle, it means to be fair. It means to be mild. To handle situations with patience and a calm spirit. To be suitable. Another word is reasonableness. It's translated sometimes. Y'all, one of the most suitable relationship traits that we seek with followers of Jesus or not is trust. And to be gentle is to be trustworthy. What what do we mean by this? If you're gentle, you're not going to fly off the rails in an argument. If you're gentle, you're going to give the person a chance to explain their side of the story. You're going to be kind. You're going to be patient. And Paul is saying to followers of Jesus, be that way, not just towards a potential spouse, but be that way to everyone. And we can begin to do this in a way that's public. And it's, it's not about, you know, trying to throw your name up there. It's not just about trying to meet as many people as you can. I, you don't have to be flashy and draw attention to yourself. There was actually last week a world leader president. I thought just this was funny. Uh, I'm not going to call him out, so they're going to name nameless. Um, they tweeted a reported picture of a mystical woodland spirit. Here's the picture. That they tweeted 
this is an elf. Magic is real. This was a world leader president that tweeted this picture. That's not an example of how to get attention for reasonableness. That's how you get made fun of on the internet. And y'all, as we do this, we're not trying to put on big stunts. We're not just trying to see, meet as many people as we can. We're trying to build a healthy, gentle reputation in our community over a long period of time. And what happens as you do this, people begin to notice. People begin to see you. People see you serving and loving your friends. And single people begin to notice. You'll begin to notice the way that people work and the way that people love their friends and the way that people serve in their community. And they'll think, wow, that person might make a great husband. I want to pray for them to ask me out. Or ladies, the guys will see the way that you handle yourself and they'll see that you have healthy relationships that are gentle and they're not full of drama. And eventually they'll look at you and they'll think, man, that girl would make a great wife. And hopefully they ask you out. And, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. So get ready for that. But in the meantime, you got to put yourself out there. Like Caitlin said, you don't have to just sit and hide. And in the meantime, as you begin to build this reputation, people will begin to notice. Y'all, if you want a person who fears God, then learn to fear God. Learn to walk with Jesus. Come serve at the block. We would love to have you. And you can be around men and women who also love God, who are also pointing to that goal of a healthy marriage that we talked about at the beginning. And as single people begin to notice, married people will also begin to notice, and they'll go to bat for you. They'll see you, and they'll think, man, I've got a single friend, and I, I might try to set him up. And it might be a good thing. Coworkers who are following Jesus, they might set you up, and they'll think, man, I've got something that could be good. Even grandmas, they'll come up to you and be like, hey, would you like to meet my grandson or my granddaughter? That happens. And you never know, it actually might be a good thing. But if we're concerned that we have a lack of options, we need to slowly build our list of options. And that's done through slowly building our character, slowly building our reputation, and letting everyone begin to see us. And in the meantime, people will praise God as a result of your life. And you'll end up blessing a lot of people. And it takes time. It takes a lot of consistency. And I want to use that uh, to transition into our next fear. But while I do, I want to remind you of all of something from our childhoods. Uh, do you guys remember that when you were a kid, time just moved slower? You guys remember that, right? Like, it would be a week until my birthday. My, my birthday is actually next week. But it would be a week until my birthday, and I would just be like, oh, the days are just going so long, right? And school just felt like it was going so long. And summer break flew by, but that's a different thing. Uh, and it just felt like time dragged on. But as we began to get older, time began to speed up because our perspective changed. And our capacity to understand long periods of time changed. And now we look back at our childhood. Now we look back at high school or college and we think, man, that flew by. We want to keep that mindset in our heads as we expose this next fear. Fear number four, being single is forever. Y'all, this is the fear that we'll be forever alone. This is the fear that you'll spend your whole life single. That you'll spend all of your 20s, or you'll spend all of your 20s and your 30s single. And it makes sense why we feel this, right? Because we feel the days drag on, and we realize I'm still not in a relationship. 
and we feel the wedding seasons go by and we think, I'm still not married. And we feel the Christmases and the Valentine's Day and every other holiday go by and we're reminded, I still don't have the person that I'm going to say I do to. And as time begins to drag on, we begin to feel this fear that this is going to last forever. And God's word has a truth for you. When Paul says, let everyone see your reasonableness, the Lord is near. Y'all, when he says the Lord is near, what does he mean? Does it mean that God is near to us? Yes, it does mean that. Psalm 145, 18 says the Lord is near to all who cry out to him sincerely. But what it means specifically here is that Jesus is coming back soon. And this is something that is kind of difficult to understand, and it's something we don't really like to think about a lot. And we can kind of tend to shy away from this because we see some crazy folks saying, hey, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Or we see some people saying, hey, Jesus is coming back on September 1st, and we look at that and we kind of recognize crazy. And so we think, I'm going to distance myself from that. But if we're not careful, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we begin to ignore when God's word says to us that Jesus is near. The Lord is at hand. He's coming back soon. And when he returns, it says that all of the the believers are going to be with him in heaven and on the new earth forever. And here is how this relates to singleness. We will not be married in heaven. It's crazy to think about, but these are Jesus' words to us in Matthew 22. It says, for in the resurrection, people neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Y'all, what Jesus is saying here is that we actually will be single for forever. We are not married in heaven. We will spend 99.99999% of all of our existence not married. And, And this is the thing that's so hard to understand as a single person or as a married person. It's so hard to understand from this side of eternity. But eternity with God is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. He says he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. He says all sadness and pain will be gone. Loneliness will be gone in heaven. Imagine that we won't be married and loneliness will not be a thing. In the concerns of this life and these fears that we feel, it will be a dim memory. Y'all, marriage is not meant to be eternal. It's meant to be lifelong, but it's not meant to be eternal. And we need to begin to shift our perspective. And it's not to invalidate the sense that this isn't a real fear, but it begins to make us realize, man, this isn't going to last forever. It's not truthful to believe that I'm going to be single forever. And we can realize that Jesus is coming back soon. We don't know when it is, but Jesus is coming back soon, and we can live in light of that. And so as we in the same way, look back at our childhood and we saw that time just kind of flew by. When Jesus comes back and we're in eternity, we're going to look back on this life and it's going to be a snap. And all of the days and the weeks and the seasons and the years of waiting to find someone, it'll just seem like that. And it'll be nothing compared to the goodness of God that we get to experience. Y'all, God calls us to encourage each other with his words. And so I hope you can take courage at this. You might be single for the, your whole life, but if you were a follower of Jesus, you'll be with God forever. And that actually brings us to our final fear. And this one is the most heartbreaking. It's the most painful. It's that being single means I'm not loved. 
Y'all, in our society and in our times, romantic love is seen as the pinnacle of love and joy and happiness. And it begins to sell us this lie that if I don't have someone whom I'm in a romantic relationship with, then I'm unloved. And maybe this is how you feel tonight. Maybe you feel unloved and you feel like there's really no one who cares about you. Not in the way that matters. Maybe you feel the need to have someone carry your burdens and you think, man, there's no one that would do that for me. Maybe you you lay awake at night or you wake up in the morning and you look at an empty bed and it just reminds you of the emptiness in your heart and the void that you feel. And it just reinforces this fear that I'll never be fully loved. I will never be fully known. Not now and not by anyone. And first and foremost, y'all, I want to acknowledge this pain because it hurts. I've been there. And it can be so all-consuming because it feeds into every single one of these other fears. I'm not loved, so I'm lonely. I'm not loved, so I'm missing out. I'm not loved, and there's no options of people who will love me. I'm not loved, and this pain is going to be forever. And, y'all, it breaks my heart because I know that this is something that people in this room feel and fight on a daily basis. This is something that's real. And this is a void and a hurt that people face every day. And we live our lives believing that there's no one who's for us. And y'all, here is the truth that there is someone who's for you and his name is Jesus. Can I just tell you guys a simple, profound, eternity-changing truth? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you and he is for you. If you don't remember a single thing from tonight, if you don't remember anything else, I pray that you walk away understanding the simple truth that Jesus loves you and he is for you. And if you're asking the question, how do I know that Jesus loves me? Because talk is cheap. He died for you. And the thing is that romance and sex and marriage, they are not the ultimate expression of love in this world. The ultimate expression of love is a cross. And it's the cross that the Son of God died on for your sins and for mine. And when we begin to look at our sin, and it's hard to look at our sin and a message on singleness, but we have to see sin as bitter if we're going to see Jesus as sweet. And as we look at the bitterness of our sin and we begin to take the weight and the shame of it onto ourselves and we begin to think back in our minds all of the pride and all of the anger and all of the lust and all the ways that I've hurt every single person around me, and I begin to feel the weight of it, I begin to think, man, there's no way that anyone could ever love me And the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus looked at you in your worst, and he said, I love you. Y'all, can I just say, there is no human that will ever love you the way that Jesus does. There is no one that will accept you in that kind of way, who will know everything that you've ever done that you're ashamed of, and will still love you for it. 
And the thing is, y'all, because Jesus loves you, you don't have to be lonely. He says he'll always be with you. And because Jesus loves you, you don't have to be afraid of missing out because he gives you life to the full. And because Jesus loves you, you don't need to be afraid of never being chosen because he chose us at our worst moment. And because Jesus loves us, we're not going to be alone forever. We're going to be with him forever. And so I just want to say first and foremost, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're thinking, how do I get that love? What do I need to do? All you do is tell God, God, I know I'm a sinner and I just want to accept your love and I want to follow you. It's that easy. It's free. You don't have to do anything else. You just accept the fact that Jesus loved you and died on the cross for your sins. And you get into a relationship with him. And then you get to know the God that loves you. And if you're wondering how to do that, Paul actually highlights that in Philippians 4, 6, when he says, do not be anxious about everything. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. What does this mean? God wants to know your fears. God says in every single situation, it doesn't matter if it's big, it doesn't matter if it's small, he wants to know your fears. He wants to know your anxieties. And we can take our requests to him. We all, I think we all long for that person that we want to offload our burdens to, that at the end of the day we can talk to and share all of our hardships with. God is that person. Y'all, you can go to God at any moment, and he will listen. And if we do this, we have to do it with thanksgiving. And if you're wondering, why, why do we need thanksgiving? It's simply put, thanksgiving is the idolatry killer. Y'all, this is something that we have to get right in a day where romantic love or self-love is preached as supreme. This is a truth that we have to understand or it will fundamentally warp everything around us if we don't get this right. God is love. Love is not God. There is no human love that can take the place of God in our hearts. That's what leads to codependency. That is what leads to loneliness, is believing that someone else can fill the void that only God can fill. And if we don't get that right, we're never going to be happy. Because either we're going to be filled by God, that hole in our heart is going to be filled by God, who's eternal, who's everlasting, who's infinite, and he can fill it, and he can keep giving, because he's loving, and he's perfect. Or we are going to take from every single person around us until they're empty and we're still empty. And we have to begin to see that Jesus is the only answer for this in our lives. And if we're thankful, it builds contentment and it pushes back against that urge to put love in the place of God. Because we say, man, God, I'm just thankful you love me. I'm just so glad that you died for a sinner like me. I don't deserve anything else, but I'm thankful. And it says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. We get known by God and he begins to put our fears to rest. And then we begin to think about him and our minds are filled with God. And we begin to understand the God who loves us. And y'all, we have to learn to trust God in the darkness of our fear by bringing them into the light. And that light is Jesus. And so if you're here tonight and you're like, I've got these fears, I don't know what to do. What do we do walking away? Here it is. One, grow in contentment with Jesus. Enjoy a life of serving others because of what Jesus has done for you. 
get to know others and know, be known by your walk with Jesus. Remind yourself that Jesus is coming back for you soon. And, and f- most importantly, remember that Jesus loves you and get to know the God who loves you every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, that we would understand your word to us. God, that we would understand the fact that while we were still sinners, you died for us, God. And so the fear that I feel, God, that I know people feel, that we're alone and that we're unloved, God, is just not true. And God, I pray that tonight, God, would we be honest with you? God, would we cry out to help sincerely, God, believing that you will answer God, not just to solve all of our problems or not just to take away the fact that we're single, God, but because we want to experience more of you. God, as we sing tonight, God, I just pray that this would reinforce the truth in our minds. God, it would reinforce the fact that you love us and we can bring our fear into the light and you will expose it and that's going to hurt and that's going to be scary. But you're going to be a patient father walking right alongside us throughout the whole thing. God, I just, I pray that the frustration and the confusion that's in this room, God, would you bring healing? Would you bring comfort? And most importantly, would we see ourselves as what we really are, God? I'm just a sinner. I don't deserve anything. I deserve punishment. I deserve death. But you love me. And you love every single man and woman in this room. God, I pray that that would wow me. That would drive me to my knees daily. And that would be the truth of every single person in this room. And that as the fears come, as the highs come, as the lows come, we would always keep our eyes on you, on the God who loved us and died us, died for us, so that we could be with you forever. God, do something in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.